this is episode three of the Pipe Labs podcast. Uh, we're gonna do one more Q and A, uh, mainly because we've gotten like a really intense amount of questions or dialogues going up, and the guests we've booked. They haven't been here yet. So we're going to do another one, and hopefully it's going to bring some value, both for the people that have been engaged in the conversation and those that haven't. For those of you who don't know, my name is Par. Uh, I work at Pipe Labs. And uh, like the first question that I would like to bring up is just based on an observation that we've made. We're starting to see it in LinkedIn feeds. We're starting to see it across uh, several different channels. And of course, it's as a result from the the... the um, the layoffs that have been going on for people within the TA community. And uh, my observation is only based on the kind of posts that I've seen and the kind of experience that people have. And to put it in some sort of general perspective, it's, oh my God, the candidate experience is terrible. I mean, all, in all of these different processes, I'm not getting feedback. I don't feel like I'm valued. It doesn't feel like my time is valued and so on and so forth. And Working as a professional within TA and getting that experience, I think, in the long term, is going to be good. Um, and I mean, the, the situation of being out looking for a job is incredibly stressful. It's like really a drainage on, on anybody who goes through it. And the thing is that I think it's good for more people to understand what that's actually like, especially if you're working within TA and you haven't experienced it yourself. Because it's a stressful and draining situation for anybody who's looking for a job. Uh, and it's, uh, a, it's processes that is shared not by candidates or recruiters, but by people. And I think that's like a really important point and maybe one of the learnings that you can do while being in a really shitty situation. Well, if you're going to continue working within TA, remember that. And as I've said many, many, many times, like go into the subreddit, recruiter hell, just look at the way that people are experiencing the candidate processes right now. Uh, I saw an immensely um, interesting post just a couple of days ago that I started to interact with that was also like, oh my God, with AI, we're going to see fake candidates. That is going to be generative AI, both in terms of, of, of you know, answers and CVs and video and everything like that. So sooner or later, someone's going to hire a completely fake profile that's just there to... Um, do cybersecurity attacks or getting information that they shouldn't have. And one of the responses was, okay, so let's make the process even harder to go through. Let's make sure that we validate people to a much larger extent before they can even apply. A CV isn't good enough anymore. We need to do more. Whereas where I'm coming from is that, yeah, that's going to make the experience just worse for everyone. That said, I'm not taking the, the risk of that lightly. And being in, based in Europe, having to take care you, with GDPR or the equivalent across the world, I also know for a fact that there's a lot of things being done within the TA sphere that is not exactly security compliant. But making the recruitment process even worse is for me not the answer to that. And as a TA professional, if you're going through this, pay heed. Because what you're experiencing and your feelings and the, the, the sense of inadequacy, the sense of being used, the lack of feedback, the big empty void of nothingness that is not seldom candidate communication today, that's something that everybody goes through. 
So when you transition into a new role, remember that. Use that to rethink or redesign the process. Use that insight to become even better at being involved in talent acquisition. So that's like the observation I've done based on the latest like influx of really good TA people within a talent market that is now due to market circumstances, um, you kind of need to look for a job to a bigger extent that maybe you've been used to, especially if you come from tech. So we, we, we did a short post about how the economic theory of uh, the law of diminishing returns actually plays a part when it comes to outreach and messaging, something that we as talent acquisition professionals do all the time. And I've spoken a lot about this topic the last couple of weeks. I did it in the last pod, and somehow, like the comments and the dialogues that we've been through, been going through and been engaged in is like uh, as a consequence of that. So I kind of just want to put a ribbon on that, uh, try to answer a question that we got asked in the comment field. I answered it there, but I think that it deserves a bit more attention. And that was, how do you measure ROI on content? That was the actual question. And for me, that is probably not the right question, to be very honest with you. It's, okay, how, how, how do we understand what drives a differing response rate? What, how do we understand that if we do this, whatever this might be, the response rate is going to go up or it's going to go down. Or if we do something else, uh, we're going to get more or less positive responses. Or for that matter, they open the thing and they don't interact with us. Like that, That's also something that you kind of need to pay heed to because if you're getting a response rate from, I don't know, say 25%, that's 75% that is actively choosing not to engage with you. And that for me should be like the percentage that should matter more. How come that we're saying stuff that 75% of the people that we try to engage are actively saying, I'm not even gonna let you know what I think about it. It's just gonna go fluttering through my feed or my inbox or whatever it might be. So, so having control over your response rates and, and, and starting to understand or nitpicking or going at the problem of what can I do to impact it, that's really important. But that isn't ROI on content. ROI on content, then we need to move into something that is a really powerful model, but I don't see it used enough when it comes to talent acquisition. However, marketing is starting to move into it. It's been uh, something that we're seeing a lot of like really interesting content being produced. So like attribution models and how that can affect our understanding of the content we produce or um, what drives some sort of conversion. It, I mean, within marketing, it's much more commonly used. I would just recommend you to like follow Refine Labs, look up Laura Erdem or um, what Autumn Holmgren is doing. Just trying to understand like what are the pros doing and what can we learn from that within a TA con con context. Um, because we're still speaking, talking about like, okay, people are getting all this influx in a much more modernized world, 2023. It's not about like getting that gated white paper or looking at the job ad and clicking apply. It's about all of the different touch points that impacts that decision. So that could be anything from you right now listening to this podcast going like, oh, this is possibly interesting. That is an influence on your perception of Pipe Labs. So if you ever choose to become a client or if you choose to apply for us or whatever it might be, this would be an important part for us to understand to start making sure that we do content that is relevant for the people that we want to engage with. 
and that's just one touch point. It could be like oh, it could be, it's a webinar and it's the career page and it's the Instagram feed and it's that time the CEO was a part of the thing that you were to or uh, you had someone uh, met someone at dinner who worked at the place that you are now applying to or whatever where it might be. It's about understanding what drives the decision to actively start engaging as a candidate or replying to that in mail or writing a comment on LinkedIn so you can start a dialogue or wherever it might be that we want to measure. And all of that still plays into some sort of idea of attribution. Most talent acquisition people that I know or interact with, uh, they're used to one sort of attribution, which is usually software-based. So that would be in your ATS where you can see like, okay, my traffic is direct or Google search or from one of the job boards or the career page or wherever it might be. It's just capturing that last touch point before the conversion happens. In this case, the conversion being and clicking the apply button. And what should be more interesting is not where they came from, but rather what led them to the decision to click apply. And the only way that you can properly find that out is to start engaging with the people, start having conversation about it. Add it as a thing that you do when you're doing your first screening interview or your first reach out and starting to have a dialogue. Like what made you accept this in mail or apply to the role or uh, move forward in the process. Make sure that you have a field in your ATS that clearly states attribution uh, and just start adding data into that. Sooner or later, if you do this consistently, you're going to get much more insight into what you're doing and the kind of effect that it has, which also means that you can play into that. If your main source of conversion actually isn't the job board, it's just where they found their job ad when they Googled. It's a podcast or it's a, those live events that you do or the meetup thing that one of your software developers is doing or um, the Warhammer group that one of your marketer people is involved in or wherever it might be. Starting to understand why people choose to engage with you. That's really, really important. And that's starting to take guesswork out of the equation. And when you start taking guesswork out of the equation, you can do planning much better. And you can make sure to, over time, reduce cost, increase efficiency, increase productivity, and starting to understand what is actually important for the people that are choosing to either apply for you or respond to those emails. And the only way that you can get there, that's starting to do attribution. Take your time, spend two, three, five, maybe 10 minutes, depending on where in the process it is, to speak to the candidates. Why did you? What was interesting? Uh, did you see us anywhere before you choose to click apply? Um, have you been exposed to any of our content before you responded to my email? Simple questions like that, but being consistent in adding them to your process and then typing them into some sort of field or wherever your data collection might be. Over time, you're going to have incredible data that can actually inform your strategy moving forward. So the next question is, more or less taking from a context that I was a part of last week. We recorded a thing together with uh, Radin over at Refap. Shout out. And we spoke about sourcing amongst other things. And one of the um, discussions that we ended up having is why is sourcing boring, dull, and more or less like grunt work? And my answer was then and still is that it's because you're doing it wrong. Like sourcing shouldn't be that. Sourcing should be a something that's intellectual stimulating, you're, you're getting market insights, you're learning, 
you're getting to speak to people that are have uh, are doing interesting things but the way that sourcing is taught to a very large degree kind of makes it boring because we have this sequentiality of doing things we populate the long list we make sure to do outreach usually in a way that is more copy paste than trying to communicate with the individual and then we sit back and wait and we get pretty poor response rates which means that uh, all of these other people they're just falling to the side and if we don't get enough candidates to move forward then we need to do another long list and we do it again and it's just it's not fun and it's based on like buzzword bingo usually in LinkedIn recruiter and it's it's just not fun and it should be fun because it's really interesting like sourcing is 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 the opportunity for you as a, a as a talent acquisition professional to learn more what is the market status which are the top players which are the top companies how are they working what kind of tool sets are they using what kind of tech are they doing like where can you find the top performers are there is there like a manager or a group or a context that consistently puts out really good stuff which means that it's interesting to try to attract someone from that like that's how you get the top performers and that's fun, isn't it? Like learning more, being a bit curious, trying to figure out. And if you don't know it, and usually it's within tech, I'd say, like you don't know the difference between tech A and tech B. Who cares? Like, honestly, learn. It's not that hard. You don't have to learn how to code, but you should be able to learn the difference. Google a bit, use ChatGPT, and just learn. Because the more you learn, the more market insights that you get, the more interesting it's going to be, the more you start to understand like what is the business climate or what is the, like, the talent pool preferences or how do they work, who does what, which are the most interesting based on what you need. Like starting to learn and start to engage with people and start to get more insights into either markets or verticals or, or whatever it might be that you didn't have before. That curiosity can never be dull and boring. So if you feel that your sourcing is dull and boring, you're doing it wrong. And doing it wrong is something that I've spent like 11 years within TA doing before I started like really questioning why am I doing it in a way that doesn't provide me with the kind of stimuli that I'm looking for, which is speak to interesting people and learning interesting stuff. Even though we try our best and this is the way that we've been taught how to do it, very sequential, very, very mechanical uh, with an expectation, so maybe not getting those responses or maybe even feeling averse of reaching out because, oh, they're going to be less than pleased of me letting them know that I'm interested in speaking to them. Well, do better. Like, look into the companies, the markets, the people, the individuals, wherever it might be, to make yourself relevant so you can engage in those interesting conversations so you're going to learn even more. And then you can learn more. And then you can infer that to learn more and so on and so forth. And if you do it that way, then it becomes much less of this almost legacy process where we do things in order that we don't like, that doesn't provide us with value or any fun at the workplace uh, into a much more alive process where we like iterate constantly. We learn things, we engage in interesting conversations, we satisfy our own need for curiosity and we can suddenly start provide value without that process taking longer time or providing less candidates or anything like that. It's just about rethinking how we approach sourcing and start using it as a method of like learning more and becoming more interesting as a professional while doing so. So if you're not having fun sourcing, don't stop doing it or think that it's a transitionary position that should be 
most easily done by the junior people because they're going to learn how boring it is. And then when they've done it for a couple of years, then they have reached the level of not having boring anymore. Terrible. Instead, start rephrasing it as a real opportunity to start learning and something that could probably be best done by more senior people. Like that takes quite a lot when you start to add like market insights and stuff like that to, to the mix. Learn the juniors, definitely, but don't expect them to solve it because it's hard. So rethink it so it's going to be fun. That's my main point. Another question that, that is also taken now out of context, but I had a really interesting meeting this morning. I don't know if I should name him or not, but, but, but um, uh, you know who you are. Um, <laughs> but he isn't, I don't know if he wants to be part of this, but like the conversation we had is really interesting. So um, we were speaking about like how, how the adherence to processes is what brings validity in the assessment process. Or rather, that was the thesis that the other individual put forward. I'm going to go quite honestly very contrarian to that because I don't believe that the process bring, is what brings validity to the assessment process. I think the process is just a way to explain which step happens before or after and what the purpose of it is. Um, so in this case, in this example, we have a company that has like a three-stage interview process. You have one the first one, as many of you will recognize it as, like more of a cultural interview, the way of working, the kind of expectations, what are the values, yada, yada. The second one that focuses more on the technical skills, and the third one that is a case. That's quite standard, quite traditional, quite mm, common. So our way into that conversation was how can you increase uh, the the participation of hiring managers and team leads into the recruitment process. So it isn't this separate entity, but rather something that is integrated into their day-to-day -day work, not necessarily day-to-day, -day, but like in their ordinary workflow. And my idea was using, uh, uh, for example, an absolute brilliant tool called Kula, where you can do live sourcing sessions together, but using each other's networks. So if you're three people, you can use each other's networks to like see and start finding out the people that could be relevant for a role. And then I said, like, then the person who knows them should send the outreach, should start to try to engage them in conversation. And that's kind of like where we would let into it. But no, our process is that we over at TA does the first thing. So first we're going to have the cultural interview and then we're going to have the thing and then the thing because that is how we make sure that the assessment is valid, that we get the right information so we can make informed decisions. And that's what I'm pushing back on. So... From my point of view, I would say, like, okay, what do we want to get from each of these points? Okay, for the cultural thing, interview, we want to extract information from the candidate. Are they willing to move into our way of working? Do they align with our cultural values and so on? From the candidate's point of view, is this company doing things in a way that I uh, feel comfortable with or is, or is interested in or whatever it might be? Do their cultural values align with my, my own? Is it a workplace that I could see myself working for? And the technical interview is more or less, do you have the, the previous skill set that would make sense in this context? This is how we, the kind of tech stacks that we're working on, and this is where we're at within terms of uh, the product roadmap, and so on and so forth. And then a case that kind of puts both of these things into some sort of practical test. The validity of that data that we extract and present to the candidate is not based on the order. It's based on how we define each step. So if it's easier for the candidate, why not do the case first? or the technical interview, or 
the cultural one. That isn't what brings validity. It's what we want to extract or and present in terms of information and data that at the end, when we've done all three of them, no matter in which order, we can make an informed decision from the candidate's point of view. Is this something I want to do based on what I've understood? And from the company's point of view, is this someone that we want to give an offer to based on everything that we've extracted in terms of data? So like a process is just a way to order information in terms of recruitment. It's not what brings validity. You can have a process that is looking to be very well thought out. You have the thing and then the interview and then another and so on. But as long as everything that you do within those steps is less than awesome, it doesn't really matter. That's just doing things for the sake of it or for the face value of it. You can do less or in a completely disorganized way as long as you actually know this is what we want to assess. This is what we can offer. This is the data that we need. And this is the information that a candidate needs to make an informed decision. Then it doesn't matter in which order they're done. It doesn't matter at all. So having a good assessment criteria in place for the role, having a clear ID of who should do what during interviews, documenting and using the same assessment template, it doesn't matter in which order. And it actually doesn't matter even if it's a case, a take-home or a whiteboard exercise or whatever. As long as we know what kind of information we want to extract, the order and type of process doesn't matter. And I think we need to move away from that because just relying on a process without starting to question what's in the process and what's the output from the process, I have a hard time seeing that that is maximizing candidate experience, organizational efficiency, cost control, or whichever way you want to cut it. So the process in itself doesn't matter. What we get out from it on both sides of the table really, really does. So getting that in order is much, much, much more important than having a nice ATS setup with triggers or automations. By process, you only mean like our internal way of organizing data to make it easier to access and extrapolate from that. Then sure, yeah, a process really does matter. But if by process you mean this is the best order of things, then I would say that the process doesn't matter. In an ordinary recruitment, if you've done your homework and you actually have like, I don't know, a set of three to five assessment criteria. You know what each step represents. They're uh, archetypes, so you can never be more than one of each step. And you have that in place. The hiring team is informed of this. And no matter which order you take the, the interviews or touch points, but the person that are involved in it still adhere to the same structure of data, then the order doesn't matter. But if you only rely on the order, the sequentiality of doing things, but without having that idea of the data that needs to be the output from it, what are are you really doing? You're just doing things in order, right? But you still don't have any clue of, okay, what should we assess the candidate on? What is the purpose of each step? What is the clear output from each step? Having that, then of course there can be opportunities or or, or, uh, projects or whatever it might be where the order is really important. But our discussion was more or less like we have each step clearly defined, we have the output clearly defined, but the validity comes from the sequentiality of the order. And that's what I'm kind of pushing back to because if you have that output defined, if you have the idea clear in your head of why you're doing things, why would it be more important to do a cultural interview first 
and a case last? Or why not a technical interview first if the hiring manager has an open slot before the people involved in a cultural interview? As long as you have a clear idea of the output that should be in place, how you're going to document that data and make it accessible across the hiring team. So at the end of the process or the recruitment, do I have the information needed to make a conscious decision if we should offer the candidate the job? Has the candidate gotten enough information to make an informed decision if this is a workplace and a role and a position that suits them? Yes or no? That is so much more important than in which order did we do things? Have we, made, have, have we dragged the candidate through all boxes? What is a good recruitment process shouldn't be look at the boxes we drag the candidate through. It should be what are we getting out from each touch point that we have. So we're in an extremely exciting phase. I mean, we're a startup. We're building stuff as we go. We're trying to find as many opportunities as possible to make it in such a way so we can build organizational knowledge over time. But we're also like faffy people running all around. We're doing this. We're having clients. We're, we're doing stuff. And we're starting to get to the point where we need someone who actually enjoys project management because neither of us do. We do everything fully remote. We do everything uh, asynchronically might be a word. So, I mean, being a decent communicator, being able to keep up with using Slack and Notion as uh, your, your internal tool set is good. But that's also very like learnable. Like what we honestly to God need is someone who has done a couple of different projects from start to finish, who really values structure and timelines and roadmaps and checks and boxes and, and uh, that has a really, really low need to be loved because they're going to have to be on my ass, on my everybody, everybody involved, yours as well, Ben. Go like, why haven't we done the thing? Why aren't we following the stuff? Why haven't we done the other thing that we said that we're going to do? Just being, making sure that we all keep as compliant and, and honest as possible. A lot of like, the really brilliant project managers I've worked with has been like industry project managers building uh, airplanes or, or buses or, or like doing subway things. This is not a company or a role where you're going to be able to do that. You're going to work with people. We're a service company. Uh, but if you can bring that structure into place, that thinking, uh, those kind of project management models, that's perfectly fine. Or fine, that's awesome. Uh, what I don't think that it is, is someone who's haven't had responsibility over the resources in a project. So you need to have at least tried how it is to follow a budget or set up a budget or allocating resources, both in terms of tools and people and hours and money. Uh, and having done that, from start to finish. Yeah, we're hiring, we need a project manager. Based in Stockholm, you need to be at least hybrid in the office uh, for this particular role, otherwise we're fully remote. Uh, we're hiring for that. 